a Podcast One production. G'day, it's Rusty here, all set to light the wick on part two of my podcast with Roscoe McGlashan, the man who is determined to be the fastest Aussie on earth. Now, if you haven't already, head back to the library and check out part one, which will give you a better sense of his lifelong, fearless love of speed and some of the insane machines he's pushed to the limit over the years. We begin this second instalment by talking about some of the shows he's put on over time and the unique challenges running jet cars in public areas brings, including one appearance in his hometown, Perth. But yeah, that was Rally Australia, and that was at the, um, the sort of foreground in Perth. Um, you know, all high rise buildings are there, Langley Park's out in the front there, and the river, the Swan River's there. And uh, anyway, these, the, the committee approached me and said, listen, could we bring the land speed car uh, down here and put it on the mound? where the, you know, the car's going, the little tunnel underneath, put the car on the mound and fire it up. I said, you guys on drugs. I said, you've got the idea how loud this thing is, how loud, how much power it puts out. They said, no, that's what we want. That's what we want. So um, I said, well, you sure about that? And uh, they said, yeah. I went down, looked at the logistics of it. I said, I can do a hell of a lot better show with Aussie 1, with the dragster. I said, I can run it down Riverside Drive here, go 250 mile out down that Riverside Drive, punch a shoot out. One of my guys will pull a quick release on the shoot, I turn around the corner, come onto the track, I do laps around the track, through the tunnel, and this car, you know, it's a pretty long car, the drag set, get through the tunnel, do this, do that, put on a hell of a show with the drag set. You sure you want the land speed car? Yes, we want the land speed car. So um, we took it down there, looked, measured it all up, and said, all right, well, we're going to need to be able to chain this thing down, seriously. Seriously, by chaining it down, it's putting out um, 17,000 gallons thrust, about 36,000 horsepower. So what we want is a big concrete, couple of big concrete blocks and then be able to go off on the V and, and tie onto these blocks so that the, 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 the jet blast can go between them. So anyway, these, they looked at it and they looked at it for a while and anyway, a couple of weeks later, they said, all right, we'll go. They, they pay me for deposit to bring the car down and whatever. And anyway, they said, oh, we can't get the concrete blocks. The concrete blocks are going to be too hard to set up in the FIA or someone doesn't like the blocks here. We're not going to be able to remove them in time. What we've got is a couple of machines and we'll put a couple of bloody... Uh, machines here and fire to machines. I said, they're going to get burnt. What are you thinking? <laughs> I said, no, one will put whatever. Anyway, we end up the day before that we've gone to the public liability, which is a big gig a few years ago, and probably still is, I don't know. And um, they said, how much public liability have you got? And I said, oh, we've got a million bucks. And they said, well, can you bring up your insurance company and just say you want up it to, I think, number five. Five million overnight. And I said, yeah, yeah, they're, they're bound to go with that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I said, this is the gig you guys wanted. This is what you got. So if you want insurance, you, 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 you cover the insurance. And to this day, I'll tell the story. It's absolutely amazing. We chained up this. We fired, fired the car up, noisy as, and I thought, just wait for the burner. So I just let the engine on what we call max dry, on max, max engine, waited there for a while, got the temperature up, looked around to make sure everything was right. Then I kicked it in the burner, and the burner came on. The burner came on the sink, and you could see goals and bloody things going everywhere and the bloody crap line everywhere and the noise even for me sitting inside there was deafening. And um, a very good friend of ours is no longer with us, Gary Myosevich, who was the uh, promoter of, uh, oh, you met Gary, he was down at um, yes. the Motorplex. Yep. Gary came home, this is a true story, Gary came running the next day, he said, you are so. <laughs> anyway, he, he, he didn't recall I was at the, doing the show or whatever, he came home, this is the story, he said he's, he's possibly, he's down at Winthrop, this is possibly 
25 kilometres away, or no, 20 kilometres away, at least down the, down, the, down the freeway. He said he went to put the key in the front door and he heard this noise. And he thought, geez, it sounds like a jet. And he's got an airport, the Jennicott Airport was pretty near them. And he thought, oh, I must be someone screwing around the jet at the airport or something. And, and as he put his key in the lock, as the story told me, he turned the bloody key, the burner came on, and he felt the bloody vibration at his house. He said, vibrated all the way down the freeway, and he felt, felt the vibration at his front door. He said, holy shit, McLachlan, you ass. Evidently, he broke windows and done all sorts of stuff. But, yeah, I never, I never got to hear about any of that. But, um, anyway, the, the following year, um, I said, we might do that again, guys, eh? And, but we ran the drags for him. As I said, the, the show we put on the drags was absolutely mind-boggling and, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. When we talk about Aussie Invader, can you give the audience a little bit of um, background on where the name came from? Um, no, there again, I was, when I was uh, with, uh, with uh, Ken Warby, um, the car I had, uh, the car I had was driving was uh, um, there's another guy Tommy Brown that used to drive it, American guy used to drive it. He was from Detroit, used to drive for Ken. And uh, when I got the drive, it was called US Invader, and uh, I said I'm going to fix that. So I wrote, scrubbed that out, and put Aussie Aussie Invader on it, and uh, yeah, it's just been with us for for hundred years. So yeah, you're at iteration five now, and this thing Roscoe is an engineering and aeronautical uh, piece of art in, in many respects. It's, you know, it's bespoke with some of the things that you've created for it. This is an audio experience, but if you can, for our, our listeners, let's walk effectively from the front to the back of the car and talk about it because it, it's, it's much like a rocket or a missile lying down horizontal rather than going vertical to the moon or to, to outer space. And then everything else that you've created a- along the way is designed in many ways to do to do things that, that uh, have never been done before. Yeah, thanks for that, Greg. Well, yeah, so I'll start from the front to the back, but let me just first explain that the big, the big deal with this rocket is it's a bi-propellant rocket. So I spoke earlier about, uh, about the hydrogen peroxide rockets, which are monopropellant. So all you need for a monopropellant is a hydrogen peroxide, and as I say, that works. That works as a fuel and an oxidizer together. So the big gig with this car is it's a bi-propellant rocket. It needs two components to make the engine work. So one's being the fuel and the other being the oxidizer. The oxidizer is white fuming nitric acid. And if anyone knows anything about chemicals, that's pretty bad, pretty bad stuff. The fuel is for uh, fuel alcohol. So that's a that's a type of uh, that's a nice green type fuel. It's a, it's a produced you know with with uh, cane and stuff like that, sugar cane. So it's a, it's a nice green fuel. The hydrogen peroxide, uh, sorry, the the, the white fuming nitric acid is the oxidizer. But you need these two mixes to come into an engine, into the engine, and when, as soon as they see each other, uh, they go hypergolic, or in other words, they light off. It's instant ignition. So boom, as soon as they see each other, three milliseconds, you've got full power. So. Anyway, so that's so I'm just trying to explain how we, what the system is there. But the big thing with a bipropellant rocket is that it doesn't like being fired up horizontally. So if you want to go to the moon, obviously you'd have the engine at the bottom. You have all the all the all the propellants above you, pressurised. As soon as you light the wick, all the, the gravity's pushing the, all the propellants in the engine, and the engine's getting a get, getting a, getting a steady feed. Obviously, when it's sitting horizontally. To push the propellants into that engine is a very, very tricky thing to do. So what we've had to do is develop our own, what we call a CPM, a combined propellant module. So if you imagine seven big syringes, and this has been an absolute nightmare. We've been on this for two years now. But there's four 
four tubes that are 12 inches in diameter. Oh, how about I go a bit of metric here? Six metres long, six metres long. There's four, four of those that hold the oxidizer, and there's four 10-inch ones, six metres long, that take the fuel. All got pistons in them, and there's a big gas bank in the back of the car. So when I hit the, when I hit the throttle, the gas pressure uh, goes from 4,000 psi from the nitrogen tank, the GN2 tanks, goes from 4,000 psi down to 500 psi to the front of the CPM and blasts it, pushes these pistons through to push the, all the, all the uh, propellants in the engine. Never been done before. Um, yeah, it's a world first. And one of the things we've said to people is just that that technology could be used in commercial aircraft later because obviously to make it, instead of, you know, we brag about a plane now going from Sydney to, to, um, to, to, to London in 17 hours or something like that, you go twice as fast as that with a rocket. It's, it's, it's a technology that could be used later. As you say, Greg, looking at the front of the car, uh, lovely composite nose, lovely composite nose, the latest and greatest composite uh, thing done by Aerojax, who are a company here in Perth making the uh, uh, MX, MX Racing, they're called. They're doing the, the, the Red Bull aeroplanes at the moment. Magnificent company, they're doing those. They've made the nose up for us, beautiful composite job. We go then to two wheels, the two, two, two front wheels are side by side. Uh, they're from memory 900 in, uh, 900 in height and uh, uh, six inches wide. It's at 150 mil wide each wheel. They're put together on, on a common axle, and it's got to have, the car's got to have four wheels to qualify as a car. So what we've done, we'll put the two wheels together on, on a common axle, and it's a very very intricate steering uh, mechanism we've designed um, along the lines of Blue Flame, the Blue Flame car, which is the last car to set the uh, land speed record for the Americans. A uh, very good friend of ours, Richard Richard Keller, he he helped us put some of the design stuff on that, but it's actually a frame that actually pivots. That's, that's the front wheel. Um, it's got a, we've got a rise suspension uh, mode in the front of it with a load cell. We go back behind that, we've got a power rack in there that we've made up, we've made our own power rack up there that steers the, steers the wheels. And then the CPM's here. So then we've got six, six metres of seat. It's a pretty awesome bit of gear. Then we get the driver's compartment, where I sit in the driver's compartment. And if you looked at an F1 car or even the V8 supercar or something like that, those guys that look in the car and say, should it be like sitting in the wheelbarrow? And it probably is. It's a bit, you know, we've got the latest and greatest Motec gear in there. We've got the, you know, the, best, the best stuff you can put in there. But this car uh, is made heavy. And the reason why it's, why it's heavy is that it has a lot of power. It has 200,000 horsepower. That's the power of two Hornet aircraft put together. So it's a very, very powerful car. And the thing about it is um, why it's got to be heavy is the wheels. So it's got four solid wheels in there, two at the, two at the front, two at the back, solid wheels, um, they're 140 kilo each, and they've got to turn at 10,000 RPM and experience 50,000 G at the periphery of the wheel. So no tyres, but the thing we've got to achieve is we can't have the car exceed 3G. If the car exceeds 3G, we leave the wheels behind, and that's one of the problems we suffer on the salt. If we can't get traction, you're fighting four gyros. So the past car, the Aussie, Aussie, Aussie two car, I had sideways twice at 600 mile an hour. <laughs> For that reason, we're going to run on the softer surface now, run on the, on the player type surface, the mud lake type surface, to get a ramp effect in front of the wheels to give us a bit more traction, if you like, on those wheels. So the car's heavy. So as I say, any any experienced race car guy, like Daniel Cardo, looking inside that car, and uh, which which I, which is he's, he's hopefully going to have a look at pretty soon, but. Um, it, you know, guys like that look in there, everything for them's carbon fibre, and then they say, geez, it's heavy. And so, uh, you know, it, which it is, it's got to be. It's got to weigh six and a half tonnes static to, to make those wheels work. Am I right in saying 
22 seconds to reach a thousand mile an hour. Yeah, that's that's a, that's the uh, that's the um, that's the design performance of the car. Yes, yeah, crazy. What 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 other bespoke aspects are we talking here? Because Roscoe, it's a really unique challenge. That the, the pressures that componentry is under, some of the componentry is under. Okay, some of it may have been tested in. Uh, you know, in the aeronautical sphere or other things, but 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 really, you, uh, the word I used before is pioneering. You're pioneering with some of this stuff, aren't you? Yeah, there's, there's, there's um, that probably the only thing on there that was made for us was half made for us was the ablative rocket nozzle, and that was made for NASA by a company in America, and we were lucky enough and at the right place at the right time to uh, get our hands on a couple of these nozzles. But what we've had to do is make our own, uh, what we call the injector, the injector and interface, and everything to go into that engine. But everything on that car, we've had to make. So apart from things like that, uh, you know, we've got very good welders and stuff like that here in, in Perth that made the roll cage under FIA specs and mm. seatbelts and stuff like that, safety gear. Um, yeah, you, you can buy it, but everything else on the car has got to be made. And uh, yeah, going back to the wheels again, the wheels were, wheels were sponsored by a company called uh, Carm Aluminium in Sydney. And the boss of, uh, the boss of Carm Aluminium rang me up quite a few years ago and he said, listen, he said, my counterpart in the UK reckons that the, the, the Brits are going to have the first 1,000-mile-hour wheels built. He said, if you can build your wheels, get your wheels built uh, before them, he said, I'll supply all the 7070 aerospace aluminum to make them. And uh, we'd already had them, all the FEA had been done on them, all the design stuff had been done on them, but we just couldn't afford to even ring anyone to, to try and try and get them. And uh, I said, mate, that is a deal. So, yeah, Laurie Sutton sent across all the, all the material for us. We got, 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 got them in the machine shop, got them made, and... Uh, yeah, and beat the problems of building them, and uh, yeah, so that was a that was a great shot in the arm for us. The wheels are huge. What kind of rate of consumption are we talking about here, as far as fuel or propellant is concerned? There's uh, there's over two ton of propellant, so it's a combination, as I say, of the oxidizer and fuel. But it's over over two, about two point two ton uh, of, um, of of propellant in the car, so it consumes that in in, in twenty to twenty two seconds. Yeah. Just amazing. Roscoe, you touched on it a little bit before. It's probably worth sharing that um, under the rules, you've got to do two passes. Is that correct? And there's a, there's a relatively short turnaround time between them as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So you've got to do a pass in each direction and there's an hour turnaround time. With a car like this, um, yeah, one, of the, one of the big things, we're, um, we're back and forth with the FIA at the moment. And obviously FIA, to me, the, the whole, everything for those guys is, is, is obviously V8 supercars and obviously F1. So obviously the land speed record sort of fails in a bit of insignificance, but the, um, sadly, but um, until we set the record, of course, I'll be everyone's mate then. But um, um, but we're talking to, talking to the FIA in America and we're saying, well, listen, we've got to, this, this dates back to Malcolm Campbell running back, back many, many years ago, the old turnaround time. So back in the old days, you'd probably stick a bit of gas in the tank, kick the tyres and, and have a smoke and then go for it, go and do your next run. So with a rocket car, there's just so much stuff to do now. There's so much stuff to do on there. We've got to re-oxidise it, refuel it, got to blow nitrogen tanks up, we've got to check the wheel, we've got a complete check on the car, everything the car's done, pack the chutes, you know, there's a swag of stuff to do. As opposed to the old days, we need a longer turnaround time. And they say, well, um, you know, um, why would you justify, why would your team justify doing that? I said, well, basically because we're the only guys out there doing it. Mm. And... Um, it's, it's an issue of safety. I said, we're working with a rocket. Well, bi-propellant rocket we're working with. It's bloody hot after we've done our first run. Mm. The thing's still sitting at over 1,000 degrees, bloody German away. This guy's going to work around packing chutes. It's, it's a dangerous situation. 
and for safety. I said, we need instead of everyone rushing, we need need a need an extra hour to turn around. Yeah. And um, anyway, so and I said, no, I can't do that. And I said, well, you know, they said the rule book's been there for a thousand years. And I said, for a thousand years, I said, the drag racing rule book's been around for two thousand goddamn years. The drag strip's always been thirteen hundred and twenty feet forever. And I said, Connie Kalita got it changed, which is which is good for the issues of safety. Your son was killed. So he went to the FIA and said, the only way we can slow these drag cars down is to build a short, to, to, to run a shorter track, run a thousand foot track. So that's what they do now. They run a thousand foot track. And I said, why? It's all in the interest of safety. So we go out and we're, we're running under a slightly different deal uh, to, 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 to anyone else. Uh, you know, any of our four others, if you like. But um, uh, bottom line is, it's a different car, it's a different era. And, uh, you know, it's safety. Yeah, and as a consequence, you, you you know you quite rightly need to question uh, uh, perhaps a more modern way of, of of tackling that. Salt flats were formed during the last ice age when a huge lake dried up, leaving behind mineral deposits. Every summer the flat salt crust hardens again after the winter rains, leaving a perfect speedway. I want to get to conditions and venue. So you touched before on on uh, the style of surface that you might need. Are we talking Dubai, South Africa? Where, where would you take the car to run it? And the conditions, Roscoe, just describe them. They need to be perfect, don't they? Yeah. Um, okay, well, answer the first bit, Greg. Obviously, the... Um, that we're looking at Dubai. We've got people working. We've got a lovely PR lady working in the, in the UAE for us. Um, hoping, hoping to entice someone over there. But initial uh, negotiations over there say that they build us a track. There's nowhere there we can actually run it. They build us a track, which I believe they can do easy. Uh, we're working on another lovely girl in New York, uh, New York State, we're, uh, working on uh, the whole of New York. Um, and we've got uh, people here in Australia doing the, doing the PR thing. So what? Where, the, where we're going to run is where the sponsor is. Um, so all I'm saying at this stage is, but I looked at Edwards Air Force Base in, in, in California, and sadly with the shuttle lands, if you, if you know where the shuttle landed in California at Edwards, mm. uh, we can, uh, we, we've been invited to go on that. We've got some very good friends over there, and there's a good chance we can get on there. But the sad thing with Edwards Air Force Base, because the shuttle no longer lands there, it's deteriorated very, very badly. So another place up, up further north in Oregon is uh, Elbow and Dry Lake, where um, Jesse Kearns, I don't know if you saw, but poor Jesse Kearns was a yes. L driver, got killed uh, probably I don't know, only months, two years ago now. And uh, yeah, Jesse was a great, uh, great ambassador for the sport and a lovely girl. And uh, yeah, but that's where she ran, but that was quite short also, Elboy Dry Lake. So we've got two venues in, in Australia. One's a place called the Bilba Mariah Claypan, uh, which is uh, north of Birdsville in Queensland. And uh, only very, very long. We've actually been over there with a company called Land Survey, surveyed it uh, a couple of years back and found 31 kilometres. We, we could put a 31 kilometre course down there, which is really, really good, but it needs a lot of work. And, it's, and something I've got to look at for these places is where, where you find that venue to run, there's no infrastructure around there. Mm. A bird's was 80 kilometres away, which is just too far away. So to set, set your own village up, obviously you need support from the Army or airports or whatever to even, even contemplate doing it. So, yeah, that's because it's so remote and for us to even get across to, to Birdsville, for example, from here in Perth, we've got to drive three-quarter way across the country into New South Wales and then come up and then come back again to get there. And, I mean, it's a hell of a road trip to, 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 to even try and do that. 
we can land a C-17 or a Herc at Birdsville. That's rated for a, a big a big plane. We, we put, the, put the car on that. But uh, up here in the Kimberley, we're working on a place up in the Kimberley at the moment and uh, out of uh, Kamanara. So it's right on the Northern Territory um, WA border. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, the early days for that. But as I say, it's really not on top of our priority list, uh, Rusty, because it's a... Um, yeah, it's, 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 there's so many things we've still got to do to, to achieve with this car. And uh, so wherever we run, it's going to be where we pick a sponsor up. And in saying that, people will probably say, well, shit, this guy you know, needs a sponsor to do what we do. And we say, to make this thing happen, for us to go a thousand mile an hour, we're going to need $3 million, $3 million Aussie to do it. When I look at those F1 guys, they'd spend that in a weekend, they crash a couple of cars. It's, it's, it's bizarre. But anyway, it's, it's something that's... Uh, it's, when you say three million dollars, that's the viable product. But you know, as with the V8 guys, as we all know, they get the paint from from whoever. You know, they say the budget for this year is X amount of dollars, but everyone chips in to support the company that's backing them type thing, and that doesn't actually mean it's that amount of money. So it's the same with us. But if we, if someone says we want you to run that car tomorrow, we'd say, well, we need three million bucks to make it happen. Has COVID made all that hard, Roscoe? Mate, we are blessed over here. We are blessed here in WA, I've got to tell you. Uh, our, our premier here, love our 80, we love him. Mark McGowan, big balls, mate. But he, he just, as I say, bit the bullet. We're over here, mate. As I say, I, I've had the, the greatest, uh, I've been working my tail off in this car seven days a week uh, ever since it started. So I like to, like to shed door here. I've got a couple of guys come in and, and we work, you know, they do different, different jobs, but... Everyone I'm working with, every company I'm working with, I can ring them up and say, oh, listen, I need touch and touch fittings, I need this, need this, welded, whatever. Can you do it? Oh, yeah, bring it around. Come around and see us. All the doors are open and, you know, you're not, you're not flouting it. I don't mean I'm not going to the pub or going anywhere, going, going to the local dances or anything, but I'm, um, yeah, I'm, I'm picking stuff up and, and making really good progress. It's been so good for me. It's been a really good time to get on with the car. Whereas I look at our opposition in the, in the UK and it just must be absolute bedlam over there. Uh, I haven't, uh, yeah, I haven't seen a word of a word from those guys in, in in months. So they're doing pretty tough over there. The target, as we said, is a thousand miles an hour, sixteen hundred k's an hour. Will you be happy, Roscoe, just breaking the record, or do you want to smash it out of the park so that it stands for many years to come? Well, the answer to that, the, the, the design speed of the car is a thousand mile an hour, and uh, if we can go eight hundred, we'd set a world record. So the world record at the moment is seven hundred sixty-three mile an hour. So obviously we. Beat that by 1%, we've got a world record. So we'd love to go 800 mile an hour initially. And it's the sort of thing I've said to everyone. It's not like you sit your bum in the car and say, shit, right, we're going 1,000 mile an hour for the first time. Like, we can do it. Yeah, you'd never, never get there. The only two gauges I'm looking at, everything's, everything's computerised in the car, the yaw, the wheel speeds, the goddamn the pitch, ambient temperature on the, on the oxidisers, pressures, all sorts of stuff's catalogued on that or recorded on the, on the computer. But all I'm looking at is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a clock, and a speed. So I've got the best GPS system you can get. It's very, very accurate, military-grade uh, GPS that I can look at. So the first time we run this car, so I sit, sit my bum in the car and say, right, on the gas, and within seven seconds, this car should be running close to 800, 850 kilometres an hour. So shut, shut the engine off, shut it off, and then we get out and just check everything on it. We sneak up on it. But bottom line is, this is all taking time, development time in it, and the worst thing with a land speed car is you never, ever get the opportunity for driving time. Yes. So I look at, you know, guys in V8s or in go-karts or whatever and think, oh, shit, I'll take it to the racetrack today and do a couple of laps and you really get a feel for what you're doing. This car, we don't even know if it's got a steer yet. Mm. I, I can't even prove it's got a steer yet. It's a system we've developed 
And we might get out there and you know, say, shit, I've done the steer. What do we do now? Mm. But it's, it's everything on the car is different. It's, and you don't get a driving time to get in it. So, um, But what we do, as I say, we've got to run it for six or seven seconds, get our speed out, check everything out. That's fine. We say, right, now we've got nine seconds. Now we've got ten. And then once, once, once we're getting up around 15-second uh, burn time, 15, 16 second burn time, which will be well surpassing the 800 mile an hour. So once we've got the world record, well, hopefully then people say, well, shit, these guys are serious. Let's, let, let, let's, let's get behind them. I'm just hoping I live long enough to see it. Yeah, so do I, mate. You, as I say, you've got boundless, <laughs> you've got boundless energy. And, and I love the fact that you are so, you know, fiercely determined to pursue this still. Like, that's just tremendous. The project requires a lot of people um, that you've talked about before. And you've got some incredibly bright minds on that team there, people that have got perhaps RAAF experience and and others that have, I think, even uh, some that have worked in Mercedes in their Formula One program. There's some very good people on board, aren't there? Yeah, there certainly is. And even for people like that, you know, to say, um, and uh, Paul Martin, one of our main guys in the UK, uh, Paul's an Aussie guy, he works on the secret bloody military stuff in the UK, He's a guy who's done a lot of the uh, design stuff on the, you know, aerodynamic stuff and that on the on the car. And as I say, if you had to pay these guys, you know, like an F1 team, you'd be paying, you'd be paying, be paying hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the work. And these guys, you know, guys like Paul and heaps of others do, do stuff for us for nothing. And in saying that, it's an all-volunteer team. I've got a crew of 22 people, all specialists in different areas, and most of them I don't need to see all the time. The construction-type stuff we're doing now, there's three of us mainly do it. I oversee everything that gets on there, every hole that gets drilled, whatever, and make sure I'm happy with it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I've got the perfect, perfect team that if I need something done, the wiring or something like that, I can just make a call and say, they're just done, and guys come out and do it. And um, and as I say, on standby too, we've got some brilliant machine shops, got some bloody welders, we've got people that do all sorts of stuff for us, and you can hear the voice that you ring up and say, oh, Roscoe, here. And say, oh, yeah, here you go. <laughs> in other words, what do you want this time? But, <laughs> but they're, they're excited. They're obviously, they've been brilliant. Everyone I've got. In a perfect world, let's hypothetically say you had the sponsorship on board, um, the world was right in terms of COVID and things. Uh, when would you be in a position to have a crack at this? I suppose if we saw some money today, we'd say, well, we'd set a target in six months. In six months' time, and as I said earlier, depending where that sponsor came from, if it was Australia, we'd say, well, we've got two venues to pick, which one are we going to have, going to use? If it was the UAE, we'd be straight over there with a marketing company, Gem, over there. We'd be saying, well, oh, well we're, we're in the ballpark. Who's, um, yeah, where are we going to run? Who's going to set the track up? And what I've seen those guys do, you would have seen yourself, Rusty yourself. Mm. The UAE, they want to do something, they do it overnight. Yes. I looked at the, 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 20, the 2020, um, well, the 2020 Expo they had. I went out there, it was bloody out in the middle of the bloody desert. I look at that, um, well, two years ago, whatever. Drove out there with this girl, she took us out there, showed us that. I said, well, what are they doing here? And she said, well, send a flyover here. They put the flyover off the freeway. I said, they made that for the expo. She said, yeah. Went in there, the pads going out, you know, working their butts off. Six months later, all in multi-story buildings and, yeah, what they do there, with the, you know, what the, the money they got there is just insane. We hope that it, it all comes to fruition, Roscoe. It's a, it's a great story capped off by Order of Australia medal, which I think is just tremendous for what you've done over more than 50 years chasing this dream, chasing adrenaline. Uh, listeners can follow it at aussieinvader.com and for corporations thinking about sponsorship, the media attention around this yeah. when Roscoe actually pulls this off will be enormous. Get around it. It's a, it's 
going to be a huge thing if you can do it, mate. Well, we like to say when we can do it, Rusty. And um, yeah, I love people just look at our website if they had the opportunity, AussieInvader.com. And uh, and talking about the Order of Australia medal too, mate, you've probably had enough of me, I imagine. But um, yeah, I love saying I do a few talks around the place, but I, I tell people I'm the only guy in the country who's got a gold medal speeding <laughs> and that roscoe is a perfect way to end it on we wish you all the very best with this mission and we we love the fact that it might be uh in the not too distant future an aussie that's the fastest driver the fastest person outright in the world go get them thank you very much for your time uh, Rusty. pleasure talking with you guys and your listeners Rusty's Garage is recorded for Podcast One. Written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. If there's someone you want me to talk to on Rusty's Garage, get in touch on the show page at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. To listen to more episodes, search Rusty's Garage Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the app. I'm Greg Rust. Enjoy the drive, but drive safely. Listener.